When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And I'm, I'm a writer. writer, but... Welcome to I'm a Writer, but today we have A.M. Holmes. I cannot contain myself. A.M. Holmes is the author of 13 books, among them the best-selling memoir, The Mistress's Daughter, the novels This Book Will Save Your Life, The End of Alice and Jack, and the short story collections Days of Awe, The Safety of Objects, and Things You Should Know. She also writes for film and television and teaches in the creative writing program at Princeton University. Welcome, A.M. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Hello, Alex. Of course. Hello, hello. <laughs> this Hi. is a true, true pleasure. Uh, so excited. I love the unfolding. I just had a blast reading it. I felt so lucky to to read it in advance and to talk to you about it. Um, That's very cool. And we are, we are talking about it in advance. This is one of the first conversations I've had about it. So, oh, cool. oh my God. Yeah, exactly. We, just Break so you know, we, we, will, <laughs> we will post this on your pub date. So, oh my goodness, okay. So it'll be right in time for that. Um, right. But will you please, before we get our conversation started, will you please read to us a little bit? You bet. So I'm going to read a little bit from the beginning of the book. Um, it's a slightly edited version because I have that compulsion just to start crossing <laughs> things out. Um, and it'll just sort of give a feel for the very beginning. Excellent. Uh, all right, here we go. The Unfolding. Wednesday, November 5th, 2008. The Biltmore Hotel, second floor bar, Phoenix, Arizona. 1 a.m. This can't happen here. He's been at the bar for 90 minutes. A dozen men have come and gone, having drowned their sorrows, done a little business, and put the whole thing to bed. There are four whiskey glasses in front of him, each one of them different, none of them empty. In the corner, the television is on, volume down. The talking head post-mortem will go all night. In the other corner by the window, there's a couple canoodling, like there's no tomorrow. And in the middle of the bar, a screwball with a Zippo lighter runs his thumb over the wheel again and again, scratching the flint to spark. Windproof, he says each time the fuel ignites. Windproof. It's on me as much as anyone, the big guy says to the bartender. Humility, if nothing else, requires that a man take responsibility for his failures. You sound like a man pleading guilty, the bartender says. I am guilty. No prophet is accepted in his own country. No doctor heals in his own time the bartender says you're seriously playing that card here the big guy asks yeah on saturday nights i work this casinos desert diamond talking stick i've seen men give up the ghost right in front of me and even on their way out they're still feeling the high hit me hit me again they say the big guy shakes his head all men make mistakes but making the same mistake twice isn't a mistake it's a pattern tonight it was like fat man and little boy got together and planted a mushroom in the garden right here in Phoenix, and yet somehow we're surrounded by folks who have no idea what they've brought upon themselves. No idea. A man slides into the seat next to the big guy, glances at the four glasses of whiskey, and singles the bartender. Pour me one of those, he says. Which one? The one in the middle. There is no middle, the bartender says. The Highland Park. The big guy looks up. You can call it in the dark? Salante, the man says, knocking back the drink. You're not one of them, are you? The big guy asks. One of what? Your hair is wet, so I'm thinking you're one of the assholes who got sprayed with champagne and did a little victory dance a couple of hours ago. Oh, I don't think so, the man says. I'm more like a fellow who came downstairs and took a dip in the pool in order to clear my head. Explains the smell, the big guy says. Chlorine. The man taps his glass for the bartender. Again. Were you in the room upstairs? I was. And what did you see, the big guy asks a generational earthquake that split the terra firma, the big guy snorts. I would characterize it as a heavy metal Led Zeppelin 
a grim shaking of the head, the palsied, all-too-knowing dip of disappointment, keening women knowing they'll have crushed male egos to deal with for breakfast, the damp, dull face of defeat. They bought, banked on the wrong horse and in the absence of a better horse, while full well knowing it wasn't even a horse race, but really a rat race. Please tell me you're not a reporter, the big guy says. Historian, sometimes professor, occasional author, but not on the clock tonight. Well, if you're not on the clock, why are you here? The big guy asks. Bearing witness, the man suggests. Fellow traveler, the big guy flags the bartender. Give her them the Aardberg. It's one of my favorites. I call it Santa's Paws. It tastes like it crawled out of the fireplace. Smoky. They should just burn it down, the screwball with the zipball says. Flipping his lighter into the gun position and letting the flame go high and then slapping the lighter closed. The bartender goes over and asks the screwball to settle his tab. Been a long night for everyone, he says. Time to go home. There's no place like home, Zippo says, standing up. Every dog is a lion at home. He peels 20s off a thick wad of cash, knocks back the rest of his drink, leaving the money under the empty glass. I think I'll stop there for now. I wanted to start, Am, with, was this a novel that you had kind of percolating soon after the 2008 election, or was it more recent political times that made you go back to that point um, and begin to to draft? Sure. That's a great question. And I would say that the, the book has been percolating, had been percolating for a very long time. So it was percolating well before the recent political events. Um, and when I first talked to my editors about it, I said, you know, I feel like there's something happening and the American political system has sort of lost track of the American voter in some way. And that that combined with what I would describe as the, the really extreme rise of very big money and dark money into politics, um, that things were, were starting to go, you know, haywire. And my editor goes, but you don't write science fiction. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I feel like there's something happening. And then right after Trump was elected, they called me like, where is it? I was like, oh, you seem so disinterested, you know? So, oh my so, gosh. Yeah, I'd been working on it for a while. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting to me now looking at that period, you know, 2008 and, and really thinking about how, you know, the effects of that election that was also a very exciting time for many people and a positive time have really, you know, rippled through and spun out into this moment where we are now in some mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. The, the way that the, the big guy and his, and his cohort talk about, oh, this isn't the country I recognize and we have to, you know, we have to get it back is how I remember us talking when Trump won. You know, wow. it, it was sort of like, this isn't who we are. We, yeah. and, and it's, it's so um, wild how, how it, it, you know, we've swung so far in both directions. Right. Um, right. And I, I, yeah. I, I love that it, that it takes place in 2008 because you, at that time, you know, we were all so much younger and more innocent, but it was like, ah, we're on the right track and we won't, you know, this is, this is the way we're just going to progress forward, onward and upward. You know, the country is um, fine with the way it's changing and we're all accepting of each other. And, um, and, and we, you know, we weren't at all. It radicalized a lot of people, um, changed a lot of people. Right. And there's a line that comes up, you know, like two paragraphs where I I just stopped, which was probably a little too early, but um, where the guy who's sitting with the big guy in the bar says, well, what were you hoping for tonight? And he says more. And the guy says, well, hope won over more. And that was, you know, as you know, Obama, Mm -hmm. you know, really campaigned on that message of hope. And it did seem, you know, like an incredibly transformative moment for this country um, Mm -hmm. in what seemed like a very positive way. And I think what's been interesting is to sort of watch the evolution of, you know, the racism and sexism that was already very deep in the bloodstream of, of the country and, and became, I think, just, you know, activated. Um, Lindsay yeah. and I were both living in Chicago in 2008 mm-hmm. and of all, you know, of all cities to be of course. in 08, uh, that was one where just, really the euphoria in the city was palpable and i will never forget the night he won there was a father a a black father with his son being interviewed and the son took the mic from his dad being interviewed said i he said i have hope i can do anything and i remember i looked at my wife 
and my my reaction was split my reaction was you know it's a it's a it's a beautiful moment it's it's but also i was like of course that's not i mean immediately there's an almost an eye roll because you're like oh god <laughs> he's still just a politician and this 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 feels like this feels like uh god oh jesus yeah we started taking things a lot of things for granted yes right? we did yeah, we stopped we doing did. the actual work absolutely i think i think it's all it's i mean it's not even just that it's it's everything from who are, who are we you know what i mean and mm-hmm. the idea that some of these things and these things that that we said when trump won and they said when obama won right. that are the same things you know that's part of what's so interesting and disturbing and you know in this with this book my editor in england called and said you know I'm a little confused because these guys keep talking about how much they love democracy and how they want to preserve <laughs> democracy. Oh. And she goes, and she goes, am I missing something? Or is there something else that you need to be saying? And I said, no, the, the, the word democracy now means different things to different people. Yes. So it's their version of democracy. And even the idea that I think, you know, language and words that in, in one sense we did take for granted, certainly in 2008. And, and we took for granted the, I would say, the power of propaganda and the power of disinformation, yes. because I don't think that it had been used that effectively in this country, probably ever historically. And part of that really is about social media, right? And on the one hand, we were so excited because Obama was the first candidate to, you know, use social media. And then, you know, 27 minutes later, all of a sudden, you know, we've got all kinds of crazy stuff happening on social media and the rise of, you know, QAnon and every other thing that we're just like, how'd that happen? It really feels like like guerrilla warfare as opposed to <clears throat> whatever the style of war that was just however, whatever the phrasing is described before. But it really is. It's like the leveling up feels just 2008 feels like an, a truly another world. And I mean, I know that is said a million time. times, but it's mm-hmm. true. It's so true. It's, it's, it's a, it's an empty phrase at this point, but there's so much truth to it. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, even the dignity with which they, the candidates treated each other for the most part. Exactly. You yes. can't, you can't take that for granted anymore. <laughs> right. No, absolutely not. I mean, that's the thing too, that, you know, when, when you, you know, you see, I mean, yes, John McCain, you know, in that moment was did the right thing and was you don't even want to say menchie you know what i mean and then mm-hmm. the other moments now where you're like go liz cheney you know yes. <laughs> i know <laughs> who would have thought hey, what's that about you know no. cheney and biden run together on a split ticket you know i mean it's like it's it is it is really really wild and i think for many of us i think that we're seeing things that are super scary and people do talk about a, a coming civil war. And I think, well, how does that work? Because Democrats don't know how to fight. <laughs> um, and we're not armed. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's all really intense and confusing and complicated. And yet at the same time, too, it's, it's fascinating, right? Um, and that's, you know, I don't know. Is that kind of... <sighs> Is, do you get a pull in that direction typically with your fiction or is it more that you identify things that you care about, possibly you're afraid of exploring it and you go there because you feel you must? I mean, is, this, is, is there any kind of reluctance on your part to approach these kind of topics fictionally or is it more like, no, 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 that's what I have to do? I would say I, I, there should be, um, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, I've been in this, I've been in this kind of position before, you know, historically, I don't even know. I mean, I think, how do I say this? I think that my nature and my background prime me to be somebody who is an observer and a witness to things and feels obligated to kind of name them or call them out, if you will. So even with, you know, my first book, Jack, that I wrote when I was 19 and I wrote it as homework in a college class. And I said, you know, um, can I write a novel instead of the final paper? And the professor said, well, what makes you think you can do that? And I thought, because I know I can't write a paper. (laughs) 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 And, you know, it's a it's a book about a kid like a 13 year old whose dad is gay and his parents are divorced. And he finds out that's why. And the father has a boyfriend. And, you know 
back in the 1800s when I wrote that, um, you know, the, the professor was like, oh, this will be very controversial. And oh my I gosh. couldn't even find other material. I mean, I would go, I was, in, you know, I grew up in Washington, D.C. and I was at school there. And I would go literally to the Library of Congress and be looking up like gay parents. And there was like one little scrawny <laughs> book in Canada, you know, about like a gay dad. Um, and then there was like, you know, Heather has two mommies and stuff, but it, that all even came later. So I've been sort of in that department of talking about things that we find hard to talk about for a very long time. And mm-hmm. in some ways also, I would say using the least likely characters. So I'd say by, by sort of writing this story and bringing to life these men who seem certainly very different from men that I know mm-hmm. and whose thought process and whose goals are very different. I also think that it allows us a way into sort of seeing things and talking about things and sort of by turning it things slightly on their head, it kind of cracks the story open. At least that's, that's how it is for me as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, no idea what it is for the reader. <laughs> oh, you can never know, right? You can uh, never know. Oh, you cannot know. <laughs> reader. No. Um, yeah, it's interesting that you brought up Jack because when I think of you writing novels that are, you know, frightening or hard or from a sur- surprising perspective, yeah. of course, I think of the end of Alice. I'm right. sure you're so sick of talking about that, but no. one of I, my favorite, like, it's one yeah. of my favorite novels. And it's one of the times that I, um, one of the books I look to when I think about courage um, mm-hmm. and uh, and seeing and right. allowing yourself as a writer to see and to write what you see. And um, so that's just a little aside, but yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because I got an email today from my French publisher, <laughs> as though I have so many publishers. But, <laughs> and, and it was funny because she mentioned also that she thought that this book had something in common with the end of Alice in that. Oh, wow. It is talking about, you know, obviously serious subject matter, but from a perspective that is very different from the way most of us look at the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yep. and Dallas, I sort of thought, who's the least likely person to be talking about why we as a society deal so poorly with child abuse? I mean, you know, a pedophile. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. there's this moment where, you know, the, the pedophile is asking why, if he's in jail, do these things keep happening? And I think that's really an important question because mm-hmm. it throws it back. And it's part of why the book is so scary. It throws it back on the reader yep. in terms of where's our accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think to me, what's interesting about the unfolding is how, how painfully accurate it is now. How, you know, how... <laughs> how surprising it is that so much of it has come to be. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and how we begin to see the ways in which um, people who have money and who can sort of develop campaigns to spread all kinds of disinformation or whatever it is they want people to believe and do it in ways so that people don't even know that it's, they're being fed that information and also in ways that's com- that are completely untrackable, right? Mm-hmm. So. We're at such a complicated moment in terms of, you know, our our life with technology and media and algorithms and all that stuff. So, you know, all of that interests me. And I would say, you know, Alex, you asked sort of at the beginning um, about where the ideas come from. And they come from just sort of literally reading the culture, you know, mm-hmm. and, and being scared. Um, and then I guess I have to do something with that. Going along with aligning yourself and with the least likely narrator, the least likely central figure of, of a novel. And that's certainly true here with the unfolding with the big guy is, is the choice to, that this novel is so dialogue heavy and we're getting so much directly from the big guy. Uh, is that a similar kind of decision-making or is that just how this book came out? Did you want, us not only to be aligned, you know, not, not aligned, but not only to hear so much from the big guy and have him central in the novel, but also it's his words. It's, it's so much of him. It's a great question. And I would say on the one hand, I don't actually know the answer, but I think for me, I didn't even notice that the book was so dialogue heavy until again, one of my editors, you know, uh, the one in England who wanted to know about democracy, uh, said, Oh, there's so much dialogue. And I was like, really? <laughs> um, 
I think I was just, you know, I, I sort of go by these ideas that, that the very wonderful writer Grace Paley, you know, implanted in my head a million years ago, which was, I try to tell the story by telling what, what is true for the characters. And so it's not about how I see the world or how I think about it. And so I think in some ways in this case, I was a little bit trying to get out of my way or get out of their way and let them tell, you know, say what they needed to say, I guess, if that makes some sense. Sure. And it's interesting because, you know, the book is this braid of the, the big guy and his sort of cohort, the forever men. And then this more sort of interior domestic story about his wife and daughter and the, and the family. And that part does have a little bit more narrative to it, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which was also interesting to me because I thought I have sometimes a hard time writing younger characters. And here's this girl who's kind of just coming of age and kind of just waking up to kind of the idea that she actually might have a separate moral, philosophical, political life, you know, from, from the way she's been sort of indoctrinated. And so that was interesting and difficult. And I think in that part of the book, I did use the sort of more traditional tools of narrative to kind of begin to unpack her, you know, vision of the world or her questions about her vision of the world. Mm -hmm. And somehow it, it, it didn't seem as important for me to account for things in that way with the forever men. What I loved so much about the um, contrast between the big guy's scenes with the forever men and the big guy's scenes with his family is that, mm -hmm. you know, speaking of words and dialogue, they, they speak and are comfortable speaking in platitudes mm -hmm. and they speak so broadly that at times I wondered, are, do they even understand what the other one is saying? Like, do they right. understand how far one of them's willing to go and how far one of them is not willing to go? And the, and the big guy just, he flourishes in that world. And he mm -hmm. tries to use that same um, platitude with his personal life, you know, and, and, and trying to fix what's, what's wrong with his marriage and trying to, you know, maintain his connection with his daughter by throwing, you know, Christmas decorations mm -hmm. <laughs> at them right. or, right. you know, things like that. Um, and, and he's unsuccessful there. And I thought that was so brilliant and and such a clever way of showing uh this type of person who mm -hmm. you know is used to throwing money at things and by the way exactly why, yeah. why is it so fun to read about that kind of person even as we know like you know he's a dark money shithead yeah. it's yeah. still it's still nice to be like you know he 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 has a, lo a lovely pool yeah. <laughs> he has a great uh -huh. home in palm springs you know right. i felt that way in yeah. reading this book will save your life too it's like mm -hmm. it's just kind of it's kind of nice. It's like that Americanness in all of us that we're just like money is is the right thing here. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so it's so interesting. So I want to. There's two sort of different threads there, and I so appreciate your inc sort of incredibly astute reading of the big guy and his use of platitudes and the question even like, do these guys understand each other? Are they all sort of capiche? Like, how far are we going here? Yes. Um, and, and that he, when he tries that at home, it falls short. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a really wonderful, important part where at a certain point, his family will no longer accept that. So I think that to me is really, really an interesting piece of it. And also the part where he begins to realize is, you know, what happens if you realize that you're an asshole? Right. Um, and what does that mean? Because he doesn't want to be an asshole and he doesn't see himself as an asshole. Right. And so that's super interesting to me. And then the question about the money stuff it's fascinating because I've gotten, um, I want to say I was on one of the last books of stories and another book. I've got criticism from the critics, that's who do the criticizing, um, about writing about rich people. And I thought, and I'm not a rich person. I'm probably very much the opposite in some <laughs> super sad ways that we don't have to go into right now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and I, I, I could do it. Yeah, I won't. we don't have to launch the GoFundMe page. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think it is, I think it is interesting and I really am interested. And I talk to my students about this all the time in what I would describe as the economics of fiction and the ways in which a person's socioeconomic life and history, you know, enable, complicate, change their experience of the world. And absolutely. I am often writing about the American dream as 
fantasy as dream as you know thing gone awry in some ways and i think the, that economics are are and were a big piece of that you know post world mm-hmm. war 2 mm-hmm. so so to- all that say totally man yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah man i i kept not right right <laughs> yes a plus a plus plus i kept, I kept <laughs> wondering if if someone like the big guy mm-hmm. read this book Mm. if they would feel seen or if they would feel insulted i couldn't decide i know Probably i don't both. know i think it's a really i think that's exactly but you know it, that's exactly not just the question but that's exactly the sort of split i want it to stand on do you know mm-hmm. what i mean and the other day it's interesting a, a bookseller said to me um who happened to be a, a black woman bookseller was like who is this book for and i was like well you know, and I think it's, I think it's, I mean, I think it's an interesting question because I think on the one hand, I can imagine people who, you know, were thrilled as I was when Obama won. I even bought a new TV for the occasion. You know, oh my gosh, TV since high school, um, and uh, and I only recently just replaced it because it finally stopped working. Um, Thanks, but, Obama. Know, well, it's not his fault that TVs are now timed out. It's like, of the glow but um you know i think it is interesting and i thought her reaction was very interesting and she said i found this book to be a very difficult read and i thought well that's okay it should be a difficult read it's not meant to be an easy read um and i think the idea that you know were the big guy and his friends to read the book what would they think and they might feel seen or they might feel insulted and i i'm always sort of straddling that because i on the one hand it is satirical and i tried at times also to sort of because the world around them literally in reality was getting so weird I tried to sort of push the story out because I wanted it to have a little bit of a kind of surrealist you know Dr. Strangelove aspect Mm -hmm. Um, and then as far as I kept pushing it out the world kept going even further which for me as a writer who does that was very disconcerting I was like hey wait like you know don't go too far (laughs) you're scaring me um (laughs) So I think that's a good question. It reminds me of, you know, I look, I, I, I write a lot about art sometimes and I look at Cindy Sherman's photographs. Oh my God, of course. She, she, she wonderful photographs of basically sort of like New York socialites and art collectors. Yes. And they were stunning and profound, but I had that same question. Like when these women see these pictures, do they feel celebrated or do they feel mocked? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a good question. I don't know the answer. And the other sad thing I will tell you is that I've actually had men come up to me and say uh you know like at a book thing and go like oh yeah i'm gonna tell my wife about your book um, oh i think you might like it and they're like no i don't read books by women I was like, oh, oh my god yeah. and i have said literally i've said to them these are older men you know at a certain level and i say like i will give you the book and i will have lunch with you after you've read it and they're like please no <laughs> like, you know? Oh, and, um, yeah so I, there is that's a whole other piece of it too and i will say you know historically and this was another thing Grace Paley used to say. Women have done men the favor of reading their books and men have not returned the favor. Mm-hmm. That's what she would say. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a piece of truth to that in the way that yeah. fiction is published, reviewed, talked about. And so I, I think that that also for me is an interesting crack that I could fall in and, and maybe lose my pencils because this book is not chick lit. Um, it is a book that is as much for an older, wealthy, white Republican as it is for, you know, a young girl coming of age, trying to figure out who she is and what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm nervous. You know, are you really, are you really nervous? <laughs> oh, I'm totally nervous. Yeah. Is that a <laughs> so like, is that that condition? <laughs> no, no. I mean, is that an every book feeling or is that, is that, um, I think that's a, you know, I think this is my first novel in 10 years. And I feel like the world has changed. I mean, not just the political world, but, you know, we've all been through just the strangest time and publishing has changed and there's Mm -hmm. paper shortages and, you know, like, you know, people, I don't know what you have to like drive up to the bookstore and go through like a special window. I mean, who knows? (laughs) So I think all of it feels very different. And, and even the sort of process of book reviews versus, you know, all of it is 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 wacky right now so it does feel scary and i also feel like i i'm not sure where this book will land you know i'm Mm -hmm. not sure that um i don't know we'll see it'll it will be 
interesting, but I'm, I'm nervous about it. Yeah. And I also, you know, I, I also feel like I wanted the book originally to come out before last November, before the election. And mm -hmm. I think just because publishing also takes so long and I wasn't quite done, it didn't happen. And then afterwards, my friends, after January 6th, my friends were all like, well, aren't you glad it didn't come out? Cause you'd be in trouble now. Oh. And I was like, right. But that's, but you know, and I was like, oh yeah, you know what? I kind of am glad because yeah, things have changed right. even since then. Right. They're you know? every couple of days are changing. Yeah. So of course. I don't know. It's scary. That's so interesting because I was going to ask you what you think the Forever Men thought in 2016 and then what they were thinking in 2020. Well, um, well, it's interesting. I think I think that one of the things that they talk about and that is part of the conversation of disruption is they set the whole thing spinning, right? Mm -hmm. yep. And the idea is at a certain point, they wouldn't know what they had done or hadn't done mm -hmm. because they're not their their fingers are off the turntable. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's also really scary and really disconcerting. And I think, you know, we saw that pretty literally when, you know, Al Gore theoretically won the election and all of a sudden in Florida, <laughs> hanging Chad, I thought he was a surfer. But all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, I went to sleep thinking I knew who the president was going to be. And it, I woke up and it was a different guy. Mm -hmm. um and and there's a line in the book too where they're like you know we were able to do that then we can't do it now there's not another yeah you know move for us to make and so i think that the republican party it's interesting because we all sit around or i should say all you know people i know sit around and complain about the democrats and how democrats can't ever get their stuff together and they're never really united and blah 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 and i would say the republican party and the fractures in it and the idea that you know that there was that whole sort of tea party episode that people have forgotten because it's now been usurped by the like ar-57s or ar-15s yep. or whatever it is yep. you know wear your rifle to work stuff mm -hmm. um that you know the it really has lost its its vision and and yet somehow the very old guard who are literally very old and still in power not knowing kind of what else to do have kind of decided to tag along with these you know disruptive youth um and it's crazyville so mm -hmm. you know and it looks crazy i mean it sounds crazy and it looks crazy and then all the stuff we're getting now with whether it's election deniers mm -hmm. or, you know the, the the making up of votes and voting machines i mean we are we are really spinning down a very dangerous road and people seem to not have any sense of what is true what is appropriate <laughs> mm. i mean you know that's they're like in the way that even donald trump's behavior so often was inappropriate and and counter to history and counter to you know what you do with your documents and all that stuff and so much stuff that was never legislated because no one thought we had to legislate it because right. there was assumption of civility and there was an assumption of you it's know easy. right exactly and that's gone um in many ways. And I, so that, I mean, there's so much to say, and it's, it really is an intense time. I mean, we know that, but. It is. And that's why I think you shouldn't be nervous. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I had a friend, I had a friend who came over. So like the last, you know, whatever, since the last four years, five years, I don't know, you know, all I do is watch the news. Right. right. So I stare at the news like 24 hours a day. And this friend came to just stay for like a couple of days and had like a doctor's appointment in New York city or whatever. And she said to me, she goes, is this what you do every night? <laughs> uh-huh. She said, she goes, I would fucking kill myself. <laughs> Same. I was like, well, we can change the channel. <laughs> but it, it was interesting. So I, the other piece of it too is, you know, I think I'm not sure. I'm not sure people are ready to read fiction about how we got here. I'm not sure anyone has the energy and, and, and the, 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 I feel like we're rubbernecking, you know, the decline of democracy in a very, it's like an accident that we're all driving past really slowly. And I don't know if anyone wants to take their eyes off the rubbernecking to, you know, dive into a novel, but we'll see. I mean, I, I feel cool that it said, I think that the idea that it's in 2008 in that very small window is kind of cool. And the truth is I had more and I wanted to kind of keep going. And then I was like, just stop now. <laughs> like, 
also because you know it's 400 and some pages already <laughs> you're never it, this is only seven weeks or six weeks you're screwed you know you're never going to get to like where we are now i you know we, there's all those jane mayer all yeah. that jane mayer reporting Love about jane dark <laughs> god she's the best what a badass I know. And that's my pseudonym. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm Jane Mayer. It's like I look at Jane Mayer. Jane Mayer to me is like like Spider-Man or something. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. know. She's amazing. She's well, it's incredible. also, you know what's so cool actually about this time is the way in which many of us, I keep saying not all of us, don't say all. That's in couples therapy, they tell you that too. Like, don't use the word every time. <laughs> but Many of us now know the names of journalists. You know, uh, you know, like, you know, Maggie Haberman, Philip Bump, what, Phil yep. Rucker. You're like, yep. I love Phil. I love Maggie. Like, you know, it, it is interesting. And we have we have right now more of a relationship to journalism and to sort of what I like to think are fact-based narratives than we've had for a long time. And that part is really interesting and cool. Um, and I love it, you know. Yeah, we've definitely had to, even now you can see um, how easy it is for people to fall for like a lightly edited whatever, Absolutely. you know, on both sides. And yeah. and um, I feel like we got better after 2016, but um, people still fall for it. And, totally. you know, Absolutely. We, we we need to address the digital, digital literacy mm-hmm. uh, void <laughs> in right. our country right. in oh, some gosh. way. Um, you know the thing about that that's so interesting, and even I talk about this with my students, like, People don't realize that when you Google something, what you get back is based on what Google already knows about you. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you Google something, the same word on your computer or my computer, you're going to get a completely different thing. Yeah. And that's hard for people to kind of conceptualize mm-hmm. you know, how to keep how to keep your, you know, whatever. And I don't know if it's even I, and it's not clear to me, like if you have a virtual VPN, you know, uh, private browsing network. It's not clear to me that that also doesn't sort of begin to sort based on what it knows of you. So I, I don't know. Yeah. It makes yeah, my it's head scary. hurt. Everything... I know, it makes my head hurt too. And it's so not my area of expertise. No, now. no. So, it's yeah. hard to get outside of a curated experience yes, in general. Absolutely. With, without, I mean, whether it be, whether it be watching, even watching the news or like yeah. you're saying, absolutely on a computer. And yeah, uh, yeah it, that is, that is a scary thought. That's right. one of the scariest parts in the book is when, um, that's her. Yeah, when Metzger's describing that. Oh my God. Metzger, yeah, Twitch. He he, and he's talking about you won't even you'll think that you're freeing yourself and you're not free. You're you you're in the little cage that we made you. (laughs) And and it's terrifying. All of that is really based on you know, fact and stuff and all of the stuff too about all this candy and all of this Chicago candy, hundred percent true. I wanna I wanna talk a little bit about about what revision looked like because Um, you know, there are those, those more, I don't know, I guess, traditional AM Holmesy, uh, mm-hmm. narrative parts with the family and Megan and, and all of that. But, but specifically when you're editing and revising these long conversations, um, mm-hmm. because I, I feel like it can take it into a new direction or it can open things up later. I just want to hear from you if it was different, if it, if, you know, like, how was it revising those, that kind of, that kind of book? Right. Uh, good question. I would say, you know, each book is different because each per- book sort of has its own structures, rules, challenges, things that it you know does, and also things that you want to do in the book, even though they're sort of annoying. So I'd say in a way, like, you know, these guys are kind of blowhards, right? And they're kind of repetitious. Um, and, and they have this, you know, notion of making these plans, but they're not super spelling out, like on Wednesday, we're going to go down to the whatever and do this thing. Right. And part of that is because obviously there's not that much time passing for them to cook up those plans. But I wanted I wanted there to be that echo. And, and, the, and the very thing you were sort of talking about is the way that they talk in these kind of concepts and platitudes. And, you know, some of that is a kind of almost guy speak and business speak. And, you know, I, I used to go and go and like hear Jack Welch talk about, you know, uh, turning around GE and I, I'm, I, you know, and uh, the guy who, you know, Lou, was it Lou Gerstner who did IBM and, you know, so I'm fascinated by all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so there was that. And then there was, there was a lot of cutting. There's always a lot of cutting. Um, there was more sort of Megan material that, that I had and that I would have liked to use, but it felt in a way distracting and digressive. 
hmm. about Megan losing her virginity in a missile silo. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. Give that to me. Totally. Oh. I know. Publish those pages. Um, oh. And you know, it's funny because like somebody said something to me the other day, they were asking something about Megan. I'm like, well, there's that whole scene. And they're like, that's not in the book. Because, like, <laughs> um, you know, and that, I mean, there's just, it's whatever. It's such stuff that was both fun to write and I thought interesting and very much about growing up you know, in a, in a split America, right. Mm-hmm. And it also, you know, growing up in a, in a, on the one hand, in a rural Wyoming, and then, you know, this very kind of fancified um, city life or boarding school life, but lots of cutting. And, and in terms of the, the forever men, I think that one of the goals for me was to make them both have a lot in common and sort of echo each other, but also um, defined enough so that you knew who they were individually. And mm-hmm. I was very interested in Tony and Tony's story because I feel like mm-hmm that's a whole world like you know I grew up in Washington and there were all of these sort of very closeted gay men who I would say really suffered and suffered mightily during the whole AIDS epidemic mm-hmm. and died you know mm-hmm. that I knew um and so that was I felt like that was a story that really kind of hadn't been told and then it's so wild because you know like two months ago this incredible book called Secret City by James Kerchick all about gay gay men in Washington, gay men in political Washington came out and it's such a good book. So there's wow. something like that, that I just found interesting. And, and again, Metzger's whole storyline. And I wanted, it was important to me that the forever men represented different parts of both the country and also different parts of the sort of economy. Mm-hmm. And that in part comes from, you know, again, back to the world of crazy old facts, Eisenhower's 10, which were these 10 people that Eisenhower sent letters to authorizing them in, a, in the event of nuclear war, to be in charge of different aspects of the American economy, whether it's you know, transportation or agriculture or whatever. Um, and those were top secret until, I don't know, 25 years ago or something. Wow. wow. So I would say the stuff that seems the most outrageous in the book is probably based on a fact. Um, <laughs> because that was, it's, it's very historically um, resonant, if that makes any sense. Oh yeah, it definitely, yes, yeah. it does. Um, and George Washington, I also didn't realize this because I'm not, you know, I'm not a historian, but as I was writing, I was like, I better study up on George Washington because these two people are really interested in him. And I didn't realize that George Washington was a disgruntled British soldier. Right, was, I was surprised by that too. Enough. Right, I had no idea. But I thought that is really interesting. It kind of changes the whole thing, right? It's like, I oh, totally, yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> okay. I see you, George Washington. Right. <laughs> I um, I'm so interested that you said there was a lot more that you had to cut because as soon as I finished the book and yeah. it it ends on such, I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, right. but man, the ending um is so wonderful. That whole chapter and especially the last few sentences. Yeah. I just thought, well, obviously she has to write a sequel to this. There's so much. There's there is so much so that can happen. Right. Yes. And, and that part is interesting too, because not to give away things, but I think, again, depending on who's reading it, they read it differently. So on the one right. hand, some people feel like Megan will align with her father and, and seem to carry out his wishes and, you know, move, move in that direction. And other people are like, that's never going to happen. Um, and I think that's really interesting. I, I definitely thought, and now I am going to spoil it for people. Yeah. It's just the last sentence. It's fine. <laughs> I definitely thought, yeah. yes, she could be president, but not in the party you think she'll be the president exactly. of. Exactly. And it's yeah. so wonderful because he's so confident. Yeah. He has, he has regained exactly. his power and yeah. he's dead wrong. <laughs> exactly. I love so that. That's, you, that's, I think that's very cool that that's how you read it. You know? Yeah. I love that. You're clearly a very gifted reader. Oh my God. You got, all of, you got all of the inside, you know, stuff. Oh, Which you know, as you know, as both of you know, when you're writing something, you you never know if it's going to make sense to anyone else, right? Because you're just definitely. in this, you know, vacuum. My dad FaceTimed me the other night. He was at a restaurant. All of a sudden he flips the phone to this woman that he's with. And she's like, hi, I'm Connie. I read your book. I read one of your books. <laughs> She's telling me she read Ugly Girls. And Did she I tell said, you she read it on on audiobook? She read it on audiobook. <laughs> I hear that a lot. I would have been honored. No, I, she, I'm always like, 
I read your book on the audio. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Thank you. No. And I said, well, thank you. I hope you liked it. And she said, I, well, it, I, you know, it wasn't (laughs) my type of thing, but it's a very well-written book. And I just thought, (laughs) that's what my mother says to me. (laughs) She's like, it wasn't my kind of dark. And I was like, oh, well, what kind of dark do you like? And she's like, I like Scandinavian ser- serial killer. Oh, really? Books. Oh my God. And see, I find that terrifying when people say, <laughs> I'm like, that lives within them. Right? Exactly. I know. Yeah. It made me respect her more. I was like, yeah, okay, totally. funny. Okay. That's I'll so funny. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just never know what readers oh, are going to. I know. It's impossible. Yeah. That's but cool. it actually makes me feel better that you get nervous because to me, your career is so varied. Yeah. Like you, you have evolved in such a, uh, like a wonderful way like you've allowed yourself to try all these things and that sounds so um diminishing and not in a way that I wanted it to but like <laughs> you know what I'm saying I want I want you allowed I, yourself to write that poem <laughs> look at you bless your heart God bless you exactly um, no but I think you know like you've you've stretched yourself every single book you have like created a challenge that you've met and well, I appreciate um, that I mean I definitely, yeah, I don't, I know. I always think I'm going to write something that's going to be easy. And I look at other people's (laughs) books. I'm like, you could write that. I'm like, yeah, why don't you write that? Like just people talk. I mean, you know, it doesn't like, sometimes I'm thinking that doesn't seem that hard. It seems pleasant. And I'm always like, I have to do research. I have to like understand how, you know, the atomic bomb was built. (laughs) I can build one at home just to see if I know how to make it work. You know, I'm like very like, God. But people say that about you. People look at your books and say, well, why can't I write like that? Why can't I do it? I haven't heard that, but thank you. <laughs> oh, people say it. Trust. We're saying in my, in my family, literally, I'll say something like, oh, they're printing you know, a bunch of copies of my book. And my mom will go, why would they want to do that? <laughs> oh, oh, <my> <laughs> That's how I got this way. I'm like, well, you know. Oh, um, yeah. Families yeah. reading our stuff is never. I know. My dad used to say stuff like that, too. Yeah, it's, it's actually, I saw Emma Straub um, speaking and she said when she first, uh, you know, let it be known that she wanted to write, Peter Straub was very jealous. Oh, really? And he did not like it. He did not understand why anyone would care, why she would be like, she was in Vogue at one point or something. And he was like, why would they put you in Vogue? (laughs) Oh my God. You know, it's funny. I have, I have friends who have, who are artists and who have children who are also in the arts who are much more successful than they are. And it is really hard on the parents. Oh God. Uh, and the parents are successful, by the way. Right. They're not like, you know, but it is hard. I think it would be great. You know, my, my daughter uh, has never read anything I've written, which is also fine with me. Um, and she's always like, mom, please do not come to my school. Do <gasps> not read at my school. I oh need a little space. And I'm like, you know what? That's fine. And I don't worry about her either. She's 19. Oh, okay. Um, I think. Last time, <laughs> last time I asked her, I don't know, you know, um, yeah, but I, you know, I think, I think it is hard to, to feel like, you know, um, and it was really funny because a, a few years ago, was, like 10th grade, she goes, mom, my teacher wants you to know something. And I go, oh, what? And she like goes, does this name mean anything to you? And she says some name. I'm like, no. And she goes, he was your student. <laughs> Oh my god! Sorry. And then she goes, he dropped the class. You know, what? Yeah. So her teacher wanted you to know that you're a bad teacher. No, he 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 thought it was hard. It was a hard class. Um, Yeah. And the teacher, the guy is a lovely, incredibly good teacher and a lovely, lovely guy. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Um. The last thing I'll say is yeah. I the the chapter with Megan and Ranger in the Fallen Doe yeah feels like it could be a, a standalone short story. Um, it, it, you could pluck it yeah. from the book and it would stay. You would see Megan and even her, you know, relationship to her parents. I mean, she has that conversation with the with the Mr. Tooth. Totally, I love driver. Mr. Tooth. So God, he's much. the best. I know, right? Um, I want to do a whole Mr. Tooth. Like he's to me, he's a little like Robert De Niro and Taxi Driver. Yes. He's like a, but he's not psycho. He's not, but he's, right, he's not a psycho. You know, yeah. But he's this outsider, odd man out who also is sort of, you know, philosophical and and also what's interesting to me is there are these people that we all have in our lives and encounters we have that have the potential to really go the wrong way, right? Mm-hmm. Like Mr. Mm-hmm. Tooth could in some way 
take advantage of her in any number of ways. And he doesn't, right? So he's the person who could be icky, but isn't. And yet the horse thing is to me a moment where it's a loss of innocence. It's the mm -hmm. idea that, you know, the people who are supposed to help you won't don't help you mm -hmm. and make it more complicated. So all of that is a, to me is a very, uh, a, a sort of a complicated weave of what is what does it mean to kind of come to consciousness right mm -hmm. about the world around you mm -hmm. yeah it's it's so beautiful I, I I marked it immediately I and I you know I just I absolutely loved it was it did it come early in the writing or is that something that came later when you were um, thinking more about I would Megan's say life? early mid mm -hmm. um and there was probably more of it and there was more you know and then it's funny too because you know, various, and it's not like a million people, I don't have a lot of people reading stuff, but various editors and stuff were sort of less interested in the horse stuff. And I thought it's really important. Um, and and this sort of that whole sort of, again, scene about independence and autonomy and death you mm -hmm. know, right. was important. And then also the, there's, you know, people wanted more, um, for lack of a word, closure about the murdered girl. And again, that's part of a sort of a loss of innocence and also was based on a true story of a girl who was murdered at the Madeira School in Virginia, wow. which is quite like that one. And that's also the school. Do you remember Herman Tarnauer, the Scarsdale Diet Doctor? Oh my that's God, yeah. Yeah, so that's the school where Jean Harris was the headmistress. Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> wow. so I mean, I'm telling you the threads of fact and truth and history that are not all overtly named and accounted for are deep in this thing. Yeah, um, she she thinks she's doing the right thing by calling the police to help course. this year. Right. Yeah. And it's it's her understanding that, you know, sometimes it's beyond you. Right. Can't right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just lovely. So um, painful. Yeah. Yes. I yes. That's also, you know, in that in that class that she's in, in that women's history class. That also came, you know, in part from two things. One was that when my kid was little, she actually came home and said, mom, were there any women in history? I was like, <gasps> wait, what? Oh. And he was like in third grade in like a progressive school in New York City. And I was like, okay, wait. And I thought that was fascinating that, oh my that she cued into that, that, that wasn't what was talked about and that women's history, and we, it's still this way, women's mm -hmm. history, black history, they're separated out and, and offered only to the people who, are black or women or gay or whatever, but it's like, it's not part of history. Right. And so that to me was really interesting and important. And I even had a kid, you know, a few years ago um, where I teach who came in and said, were there any women writing in the 20th century? Oh my God. I was like, what do you mean? And, and the kid said, well, I'm taking this course and showed me the reading list. And it was all male American you know, writers, except it ended with Toni Morrison. I mm. wrote a whole other list and said, take this back to your professor and said, you know, tell him I said, thank you. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> um, but, you know, that was only a few years ago. And I thought wow. that's really interesting to me. So I, I had a boss recently, um, the last job that I worked where he was putting um, large portraits of famous thinkers all throughout history. Uh -huh. and, one, and, and he said, you know, I just can't, there's just no women scientists. <laughs> Oh my gosh yeah and i was like you're saying this to your female employee sir you know right. like what yeah. it would take three seconds right <laughs> to, but, to but that, that but that's so um real and also when he's saying that and this is like to me like the big guy he's not thinking that he's missing something mm -mm. right hey. he's, because he's going by what he's seen and heard and the um the british she wouldn't like to be referred to as comedian, but British comedian Sandy Toxvig, who you know did British Baking Show and does mm -hmm. all these quiz shows, and Love her. very funny comedian, was doing a project with Wikipedia because it turned out that Wikipedia has a serious underrepresentation of women in its pages, and it's because most of its pages are created by men, and including things like women in science. So she's been trying to do a thing of sort of putting women in Wikipedia. Oh my god, um, wow. which is interesting because again, you wouldn't you know, necessarily think about that or know that. No, um, I wouldn't. No, I know. And I think all that, again, is just so complicated because I, I do, you know, in my own naive, optimistic, little faint heart, you know, I do think people are, are perfectly well-intentioned. I don't think that, you know, guys like the big guy are walking around thinking, I'm such a jerk. I think they think, you know, that the world 
sort of operates in a certain way and they they don't see that their experience of it is privileged. I mean, they, they, they have no way of seeing that, you know, they're treated differently than they than a young black man or, you know, a Hispanic woman or someone else. They they it because they have no way of registering it. So it's right. that's that that wake up call, I mean, is both obviously painful and complicated and, and generational, but I don't think that for the most part people are intentionally, you know, oblivious. But then sometimes they are. <laughs> they are. And and, right. and I think that's why sometimes platitudes can be comforting, but they can also right. be dangerous. You of know? course. Of course. Um, they're very dangerous. Right. right. Um, yeah. And I think if you ask these people, you know, do you see yourself as racist and sexist? They would say, absolutely not. Right. right. You know? I play golf with a black guy. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, those stories yeah. are constant. They're right. constant. But they are. They're still constant. You know? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, that's why I think next time someone says to you, I'm going to give your book to my wife because I don't read books by <laughs> right. women. I think you should say, I'm not a woman. I'm a writer. And then I know the book. That, that. And they, and it's, you know, yes, I do. And that's a good answer. Actually. I'm not a woman. I'm a writer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That you want to come, you want to come on book tour with me and help me. Cause I, <laughs> oh my God, I'll be right there. I'm so shy is the other problem, which no one would know. Are you? Oh my I... God. That's the worst. Yeah, I am. <sighs> Yeah. Well, I think you should go into it just knowing that people are <laughs> fucking excited about AM right. Holmes well, having a new book. Yeah. Like they're showing up because they're okay. freaking excited. <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm scared. Thanks though. <laughs> it's gonna be awesome. It's yeah. it's so timely. And like you said, yeah. it was brilliant that it was two two thousand eight and not two thousand sixteen. I really think I know that would be right. That would be bad. Because no well, one what's would think. happen in 2024. Oh, God. No. And who knew that it was the semi sesquicentennial or whatever that is? <laughs> I know. And who knew that they're planning <laughs> things for that? No, I don't want to know, but I do need to know, but I don't want to know. I know. Isn't that wild? <laughs> You're like, terrible. It's a semi sesquicentennial. say it or stop. Yeah. Yes. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on our little show. Thank you guys yes, for having Thank you. This show. is great. This is an um, honor and a pleasure. And I loved your book. Thank you. It really, and I really, I'm so grateful that, um, that you got it. I'm a writer, but <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, yeah. No, it means, it means the world to me really. Oh, um, I'm so glad. So thank you. Thank you. Thank um, you. And um, to talk again at some point, send me a list of people that I need to cyber bully. If they <laughs> say anything to you on tour, <laughs> that's really funny. cause I have the time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. You yeah. You can just Lindsay does not have the time. Ahead of time you know? Lindsay does not have the time. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I'll make the time. Make okay. the time. Right, I'll let you know if I run into problems. So there you go. Please do. Please right. do. It's I'll such a pleasure to meet you guys. And yes. you too. Really, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Right. Have a Bye. good night. Bye. Oh that was God, great. I'm, that I'm was so fun. Happy. You, I, I knew you were like jacked up for it, but I didn't know you were like that jacked up for it. Yeah, you, man. you love her. Honestly, she's like, she's like one of your people. One of my, I, I've loved her for, I don't know, since I went to grad school. She was very generous and open with us. It's the very cool. There was no reason for her to be, and she was. So that was very cool. She's so awesome, and I love the unfolding. I, um my husband and his dad are very into politics and uh all that and i strongly recommended that they both read it and um it's really fun to read it's really funny uh if you're familiar with am homes there's tons of you know like i said there's tons of am homes ish stuff in it but it's also like a way that she's pushed herself in this new direction and um that's really fun um so yeah highly highly recommend Awesome. It's awesome to hear that she's nervous because I wouldn't think she would get nervous. Yeah, I know. I was, I was interested to hear that. Um, especially some of the controversies she's dealt with in the past yeah. with the receptions to her novels. I know. It's like, I would have thought she'd be unshakable at this point. Yeah. She's right though. The world has, has changed mm -hmm. since, you know, her last book came out and yeah, I, I, yeah. Anyway, great book. Love her. So excited. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we did it. We did it. We have nothing else to say. <laughs> no, 
I mean, we're in the middle of, you're in the middle of week one of uh, school for all three kids. Yeah. Your starts tomorrow, right? Your daughter starts. Yeah. Day after tomorrow. Oh, the day after tomorrow. Yeah. We're just, we're just in it. This is our middle of the week recording. A little peek behind the curtain for you folks. Yeah, and, guys. So uh, we already talked to each other like two days ago. So we have nothing to say. Yeah. I mean, of course, in five days or whatever, when we talk next time, we'll have a plenty to talk As we about. Always we do. always do. <laughs> have, run down the list, tick, 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 and just hit all the subjects. But I yeah. have one thing. Okay. Um, I'm reading Judgment in Stone by Ruth Rendell. Rendell? Okay. She's a she was a British writer, and um, Sarah Weinman tweeted about it at one okay. point, and I always pay attention to what she's reading, and it is so fucking good. It's um, like you find out in the very first page that this woman murders this whole family, and then it's just all about yikes how it plays out. But it's really funny <laughs> mm. and dark, and um, yeah, it's 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 truly a delight i'd never heard of her before and apparently this is like her gig i mean she's mm. she's died but um she's got some other books that are like this too so ruth rendell judgment in stone i Get don't it. know it uh, okay i'll do one thing then my one thing is if any of our listeners have um soccer drills for the under six set specifically passing drills send them my way all right. Is it okay that this podcast comes out on September 6th? Sure. Okay. Sports are forever. All right. We did it. We did it. Bye. Bye. I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. <laughs>